your own voice is the voice that you hear most every day. And so the things we tell ourselves drastically affect the way we perceive ourselves, the way we carry ourselves, how confident we are, how happy we are. And it's taken me a long time to realize that, but that definitely has a huge impact on our lives. Welcome to the Vegan Manly Man Podcast. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Jake Singer and I'm your host for the Vegan Manly Man Podcast, the show where we talk about self-growth, plant-based living, and sharing the message of love, compassion, and peace to all beings. On today's episode, I have a very special guest. She's a dear friend of mine and has already accomplished so much in her short 25 years of life. She's an ultra-marathon runner, registered dietitian, self-love advocate, and Instagram food extraordinaire. Please welcome Allison Geschwitner. Hey, <laughs> thanks for having me. What's going on? Nothing. Um, just hanging out with my dog tonight, actually, just relaxing. That is awesome. Sometimes those are the best nights. So Definitely. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I couldn't think of a better person to come on the show and share their wisdom. You have an incredible will to succeed and are probably one of the hardest working people I know. Uh, the fact that you have not only run one, but two 100-mile races uh, blows my mind, so... I'm excited to have you here and and get to dive deeper into uh, who makes up Allison. Well, thank you. I'm surprised anyone's interested to know, but I'm excited to be here too. Uh, that's very very humble of you. But um, so I kind of want to uh, dive in with a, a hard hitter question right off the bat. Uh, I want the audience to really be able to know what inspires people and and the drive uh, and motivation they possess in life. And then from there, we'll kind of break it down and understand what you, what got you to that place. So uh, my first question for you is, uh, what is your mission statement on life? You know, what do you hope to achieve? What do you want your legacy to be? Um, <laughs> I think that's a really difficult question. I think for people in their twenties, I think most people, if you ask them that, like they would just draw, draw a blank. Um, I think, the biggest thing that comes to mind for me, I guess, if I want to put together a mission statement is for me, it would be to learn how to create happiness in my life and then to teach others how to do the same. Um, I know that's really simple. Um, I guess that kind of suits me well, but, uh, I think that, you know, happiness in my opinion is like the highest form of success. You know, I, you can look at money, you can look at status, you can look at, you know, all the things that people try to acquire, but they're only trying to acquire those things to reach the goal of happiness. And so I feel like aiming for happiness directly instead of aiming for those, you know, physical or monetary or, you know, like, I don't know, ways of measuring, I guess. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I guess I've, I've kind of been working on on that and learning how to create happiness instead of trying to chase it. Right. Right. No, I, I completely agree. So so what do you think that, that happiness means for you? Um, I think it means living along with your values. I think the biggest thing that I've learned happiness wise is that you have to do things that are true to yourself. I think um, mm -hmm. when you try to live a life to impress other people, to fit in, um, you know, to, to live up to someone else's expectations of you, you're kind of pushing who you are and who you want to be aside. And as long as you're doing that, you're never really going to be happy. <laughs> cool. That's awesome. I, I think that's, that's a great uh, mission statement. And that's definitely, uh, that definitely ties into mine as well. So, 
so let's talk about you know what what got you to this this place of of understanding that um you know talk a little bit about how you grew up what environment you were in and kind of what challenges and hardships you faced to overcome and realize these things um i guess like most kids it kind of starts in like middle school high school um you know they're always going to be bullying and there's always going to be like uh cliques and social groups and everything. And I think everyone deep down at our core, we just want to be liked for who we are, you know? And so, um, we just, we try to fit in, we try to find people that are like us, but if we can't, or we, we don't feel liked for who we are, then we try to change and become the kind of people that we feel people Mm -hmm. will be like, uh, people will like. Um, and I feel like, like most people, you know, when I was younger, I was fairly in tune with who I was and I was pretty true to that person. And luckily I had a lot of genuine friends just being myself. Um, but I think college was probably more the time for me when I kind of really tried to fit a mold. Um, I think maybe that's because I had this opportunity of a fresh start. You know, when you get out of high school, it's like you have the opportunity to rewrite yourself and you're older and a little wiser. Um, you know, cause when you're young, you just kind of end up where you end up. Like you don't really get to plan it or think it out. And so I thought, okay, well, I want to do all these things like, you know, I want to lose weight. I want to get in shape. I want to have a nice job. I want to have a great boyfriend. Like I want to make a lot of money. I want to do all these things. And in trying to chase those things, I realized that I was getting farther and farther away from who I felt like I was and also farther and farther away from like true happiness, which is what I had when I was younger, when I was just being myself and not chasing after this dream of you know, being the ideal, typical American, I guess. And so I think it's taken me a lot of time. Um, I would say it probably wasn't until I was about 23 that I finally started to realize this. Um, And I think living alone has helped me a lot with that because I've started to ask myself, well, who am I when no one else is around? Because that's the person I need to be all the time, not just when I'm by myself. And so I've started to kind of bring that person out into the world more. Um, and I've found that happiness return, that genuine happiness. I've connect, reconnected with high school friends again um, that I kind of lost when I was really, you know, kind of self-absorbed and trying to chase that American dream again. Um, but I also have just found like true passion in so many things. Um, I know veganism is one thing that helped me a lot, um, which is learning to be myself and love who I am because living in the Midwest is a vegan Um, you're definitely very much in the minority. (laughs) And so being able to just go out and tell people like, yeah, I'm vegan. Like, okay, if you're not interested in me for that reason, or you don't want to be friends or you don't want to date, like I'm cool with that because I am staying true to who, who I am. And I think just realizing that there's more power in just having a small select group of people in your life who appreciate you for who you are is so much better than being surrounded by a bunch of people that make you feel alone in a crowded room because none of them know who you are. Right. So I think that's really interesting that, that your experience uh, was that you really felt like yourself uh, until college. I feel like it's the opposite for a lot of people. And I know that was for me as well. Uh, Growing up as a kid in elementary school, middle school, high school, I I really felt like I had to fit this mold and maybe it's different. Uh, being a man because there's kind of this toxic masculinity culture that that goes on and as a young boy you're 
you're trying to, you know, almost like compete against all these other guys. So it's like you really have to fit into this mold or else you're you're cast aside and and that's not a good place to be for for a male in those younger years. But you know, and I feel like in college was when I started to kind of understand a little bit more who I was, uh, not to the extent that it that it would be later on years down the road, but it, I was kind of starting to step in for the first time and really do things that I really want to do. So I, I just think that that's really interesting that it was kind of the opposite uh, with your experience. Yeah. Um, so you talked about, you talked about the the veganism being a big thing. When did that happen for you? Was that when you were in college or? Um, you know, that was kind of, so it was about five and a half ish years ago. Um, and so it was probably in the middle of me really trying to chase after this dream of, you know, creating this perfect life that I had envisioned in myself, like in my mind for myself. And, um, I guess I kind of found it for more selfish reasons. Um, you know, I wanted to be healthy, but I also wanted, you know, to have a nice appearance. I wanted to be like thin. I wanted to be in good shape. And I had read and heard so many things about like veganism, just, you know, like clear skin and like you lose weight naturally and you just feel better and you have more energy. And at this point I was getting into running as well. Um, and so I just thought, well, you know, maybe I'll just give this whole vegan thing a try. And so I did get into it. And, you know, it did definitely help me to kind of look after my health better. Um, I think that it it wasn't till I had been halfway, I don't know, from that point where I started to where I am now. So maybe two to three years into veganism um, that I really, really started to connect more with the ethical side. Um and that I really just started to find happiness and just, you know, not caring what other people thought about it. I think the first two years I was vegan, you know, because it was kind of new and I had grown up, you know, eating the standard American diet my whole life. I didn't want to offend people like I didn't even want to bring it up. I didn't want to be an outcast. I didn't want it to be something that made me weird. Um, and so I think for a while I kind of hid that part of me. You know, when I was in that place in my life, um, trying to impress other people. But I think that was one of the first steps that I took into getting back to, you know, where I am now and finding this, this balance in my life and this happiness was just learning to be able to say like, this is who I am and I'm proud of who I am and I love who I am. So it doesn't matter if you love who I am and just being okay with that and being okay with whatever the result was from being able to feel that way and say that. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. So so you think then these things that you started to do in college, like like running and and going vegan, so they were initially to kind of fit into that mold to be a healthy person in, in shape and, you know, uh, fit into all these other things that you wanted your life to more or less like look good for other people. That was the initial reasoning. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny sometimes how things, you know, you start them for a certain reason and they lead you to a completely different lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, for me in college, you know, and it's funny in high school, I was always that friend that could eat anything, you know, had a great metabolism, could eat whatever they wanted and never gained weight. And, you know, like I think for a lot of women, it's not till like college where it kind of hits you, your, your metabolism slows down. And so even though I was never heavy, I was never overweight. I just would look at other people or models, you know, like 
everyone likes to watch the Victoria's Secret fashion show and compare themselves. And so, you know, I look at that and think to myself, you know, man, I could just have such a better life if I look like that. And I think that's kind of where it all started, um, chasing after, you know, the, the typical dream that's sold to us as how we should be or what we should strive to be. Right. And so I did start to change a lot of things about my life. Um, and I thought, well, running's great. You know, running helps you burn calories, blah, blah, blah. And so I kind of got into running um, and that progressed. Uh, I started out just doing like 5K, 10K, half marathon, and then a full marathon, I think within like a year. I trained up to doing that because um, I just like dove right in. Um, and then, yeah, I worked my way up to like the 50 milers and then the ultra marathons. And I'd say around the time I started running like 100 milers, it wasn't about burning calories because in order to train that much and run that much, you have to want to do it to just be able to get out there as an athlete and for the love of the sport and the running community. Um, and so it kind of slowly changed. Um, but I would say veganism was the same. I initially got into it maybe for more vanity kind of reasons. Um, and then along the way, I started to really connect with the ethical side. And I've talked to a lot of people who are vegan about this, too. Um, who initially did it for like health reasons, because I think it really is hard for people to accept, um, you know, what happens to animals when they're contributing to it. I mean, no one wants to feel guilty or feel bad. But I think after being out of that, you know, being vegan for two years or so, you know, I could, I could finally, you know, step outside of that and kind of get more of an outside perspective and be like, wow, this really is wrong. And I'm allowing myself to understand this and feel this way because I don't feel guilty for contributing it. So, you know, it's kind of hard because it's like, how do I get other people to that place where they can see it the way I see it when they're still, you know, kind of living that lifestyle? Right, right. And I think that that ties into the whole pragmatic approach and and we can get into that um, in a minute here. But I kind of want to touch back on on the running, uh, when you said you, you know, you progressed to the marathons and stuff quickly when you were doing those, was your motivation still just, Oh, I got to burn these calories. Cause I know like, you know, I I've done a marathon and, and for me where I was in my life at that point, it was a very liberating experience of kind of knowing what I'm capable of, but were you still in that place of kind of seeing it as, as something that, that wasn't necessarily for self-growth. It was kind of just this like physical benefit. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say my first marathon I ran, I know it was definitely more like, you know, oh, the more I run, the more calories I can burn. And then, you know, it was almost like, so I got into counting calories when I was doing all this, like when I was first starting to train for my first marathon, like that first year where I really got into running, it was like, okay, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to hit this goal weight, which I did. But I did it with like counting calories and I was always hungry all the time. And so then I got to that point where I was like, well, now I have to run more and I have to run farther because I have to burn more calories because I want to eat more food all the time, you know, because my body was trying to make up for that extreme quick deficit that I created um, instead of just doing it in an intuitive way, which is what you should do. And I know that now, obviously, as a dietitian. Um, but at the time for me, yeah, it really was. It was like you know, this many miles burns this many calories, which means I get to go home and eat this. Like it was like a reward kind of thing. 
Um, and I think it's easy to fall into that system, especially when people get into counting calories. Um, it can be a good tool sometimes, but most of the time, you know, intuitive eating is obviously going to be the best option, um, which is one of the things that's hard as a registered dietitian, because sometimes we're taught, you know, to teach people to count calories, to count carbs, to do this stuff. And the truth is like when you choose the right foods and you just have the healthy, you know, kind of mindset, you can usually, you know, eat the best for your body and lose weight if you need to. And if you don't by intuitive eating, exercising regularly and eating healthy, then you probably don't need to. Um, but anyways, where I was at this point, yeah, it kind of spiraled and it kind of took a bad turn um, for a few years. Um, I really got into like long distance running. And I think when I got past the marathon point, it wasn't about burning more calories because um, I don't think <laughs> that, you know, running 70 or 80 miles a week is something that anyone can motivate themselves to do just to burn calories. Um, at that point, it really was more like for my ego to be able to say, I can do this, you know, like I can run this far, I can do this. And it made me feel good. It gave me something to kind of dedicate a lot of my time and energy to. Um, and it did teach me a lot. You know, you learn a lot um, doing races like that. You realize how strong you are. You realize how much you can push yourself um, and what you can overcome when you really want to do something. Um, but I think it's just finding that healthy balance between like, being able to ask yourself why you're doing something. Um, I know that's been something I've had to do a lot, stop and step back and say, okay, well, why am I doing this? What's the reason for doing this? Like, am I, am I training for these races? Am I eating healthy? Am I doing all this for me because it makes me happy because it, you know, adds to my quality of life or am I doing it because I'm trying to impress people or because I'm trying to live up to some kind of expectation I've created in my mind. And so I think slowly asking myself that question, I've kind of pulled out of that um, and it kind of back into, I guess, where I feel, I feel better. And it's crazy because in doing that, you know, I've, I've backed off on my running. So I did do those 200 mile races, which were incredible. Um, experiences, but I haven't really been running much in the last two years. Um, and I would say it's actually been kind of nice to just take a break and take a step back and to kind of focus on other areas of health. Um, I've talked to a lot of people who get into like working on physical health, um, you know, eating healthy and exercising and being outside. And that's great. But I think once you kind of feel like you're in tune with that and you're, you're in check with that and you're where you need to be, a lot of people, including myself, move on to working on like the mental aspects of health. Like, how do I feel? What things do I say to myself every day? You know, do I build myself up or do I tear myself down? Because your own voice is the voice that you hear most every day. And so the things we tell ourselves drastically affect the way we perceive ourselves, the way we carry ourselves, how confident we are, how happy we are. And it's taken me a long time to realize that, but that definitely has a huge impact on our lives. Right. 100%. And there's that saying that's kind of been going around lately. Uh, maybe it's been out for a while, but it, it's kind of along the lines of like, it doesn't matter how healthy your diet is. It doesn't matter how much you're, you're bench pressing in the gym. You know, if, if your mental health isn't there, none of that matters. I mean, that's where everything stems from, honestly. So if you don't have, if you don't have your, your mindset, right, then it's all those things that you're doing are going to be kind of like where you were when you first started that you're doing it for kind of these 
external factors that that aren't healthy you're trying to satisfy your ego or or impress others etc like you know i think that there is kind of a a threshold that you that you cross when you know someone who's getting to a healthy lifestyle at first you may not realize you know when you're doing it that that the most important thing is to satisfy your your self-love you know so I think that that is such a huge thing. Like if you're accomplishing these goals of like running a marathon or or going to the gym five days a week, eating a healthy diet, like, you know, it really should reflect back on yourself. You know, you, you said, Mm -hmm. why are you you doing this? And I think that when you can kind of get in tune with, with yourself and, and your why becomes, because this is good for, for myself, for my self love, you know, for, for my environment to be able to create happiness uh, on a daily basis. And I think that that's really where, where most people need to be, but most people don't realize, you know, they think that it's these, these external things like, you know, when they lose weight or something, um, you know, Oh, I need to lose weight so that I can, so that people will view me differently, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, when do you think that, that you kind of crossed, cross that threshold because this is all first of all like how many how many years was this kind of progression of starting off just running and then eventually going into these marathons and ultra marathons um so my progression for running actually was i think kind of fast um i went from not running at all to running my first marathon in about a year um and then the following year i ran my first 50k which is 31 miles and then the following year I did a 50 miler and then the following year I did a hundred miler. So basically it was a four year span from not running at all to running hundred mile races. Yeah, that's crazy. And, and so along that journey, when did you feel like you kind of crossed the, the threshold from that? Oh, I'm going to run so I can burn calories to um, running because I enjoy it and I'm challenging myself. So when did that happen and what motivated it? Um, honestly, I think it was my transition from running marathons to ultra running, um, training for a marathon. I was running like 50 miles a week, which I think that's about as much as someone's going to run just to burn calories. Um, I think past that point, your hunger drive increases. So you naturally are going to eat more. I don't think you're getting any more weight loss benefits from running 70 to 80 miles a week, which was what I was doing, um, training for both my 50 and my hundred mile races. Um, And I think that's kind of the point, like when I started training for my first 50K, it was more, you know, because I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. And I think it's also maybe the community, um, the ultras, like the 50Ks and 50 milers and a hundred miles, you know, people get out there all shapes and sizes, all different age groups. Um, you know, you have people in the, in their eighties out there, you know, running ultra marathons. It's, it's crazy. And this community of people, they just welcome you. Like they just, they don't care what you look like or how big you are. Um, One of the ultras I did also hosted a marathon and they gave the marathon runners the same amount of time as the hundred mile runners to finish. Um, And they just started two hours after us. And so they literally had like 30 hours to run a marathon. And so there would be people who would come out who would be um, very heavy set that normally would not be able to finish a marathon and they would walk the course And I love that community. And it made me realize that like, you know, this is what matters, like being surrounded by people who support you and wanting to do good things for yourself. 
um, not people who want to judge you or people who are worried about times. And I don't want to stereotype anyone, but I think the marathon world is more catered to that. You know, a lot of marathon runners want to train for Boston. They look up to Olympic athletes. They want to be lean, want to look like runners. Right. Um, I think ultra running is kind of a different world. Ultra runners are just out there to be in nature and to have conversation and to push themselves and to, you know, just set goals and see what they can do. And so I think my transition from marathon running to ultra running was kind of that slow or kind of what initiated um, that transition, that slow transition into kind of running being something for me and not for anyone else or not look a certain way. Right. And and just to touch back, I'm I'm not sure if there are that many people that want to look like marathon <laughs> runners, but maybe there are, at least not me. You know, when I trained for my marathon, I lost a lot of muscle and I was very sad. Luckily it came back quick, but uh, maybe yeah. that's just the guys anyway, but no, I'm I'm sure there I'm sure there's a community of people that that want to have the the marathon physique. So no, not not to cut up on marathon runners at all. Right? But. No, I definitely think it's per, more prominent for women. Um, I think we just tend to feel like we have to minimize ourselves yeah. sometimes. Um, that we need to be like small. Um, and that men are supposed to be big. Um, and I think that was one of the things uh, I know you touched on a little bit earlier. How a lot of people like one of the main things, at least in America is, is weight loss for, you know, trying to find happiness. Like, Oh, I'm unhappy. You know, if I lose 20 pounds or whatever, I can fit into the size of jeans. Like I'll finally be happy. Um, and I think that it's great to have a goal of health, you know, to want to feel comfortable. You know, if your joints are hurting because you have too much weight, if your blood pressure is too high, if you're not taking care of yourself and you need to lose weight, by all means, make lifestyle changes that are positive, but make sure that they're sustainable and that, you know, they do still benefit your happiness. Um, right. Yeah. It reflects back on, on the mental health, uh, aspect that we talked about already. The, the most lean time, uh, or, or the most, the most lean I ever was in, in my life, I can remember back on that time. And I was, uh, probably the most depressed I've ever been, you know, I'm, I'm someone who has suffered through depression, uh, a few times in life. And I remember during that time, yeah, I had six pack abs and, you know, every, you could see all my veins and, and all my muscles and, and that was great. But at the end of the day, I was waking up miserable, mm -hmm. you know? So it, I think it's so important for people to realize that, that health and well being goes so much further beyond just wanting to lose 50 pounds right. or, you know, some of these things that, that people think, oh, if I can just do this, then I'll be happy. And I don't care what it is, but, ha you know, happiness is not a destination. So I don't I don't care where you're trying to seek it. If you're trying to seek it at all, you're never going right. to find it. So Yeah. If you always think that happiness is somewhere else, it's never going to be where you are. Right. Like it's never going to be just where you are right, right now. If you always think it's something that you don't have. Um, which is what we tend to think when we're not happy, that happiness is somewhere else um, and that we if we do this, we can find it. But the truth is, like, we always have the opportunity to, like, create and cultivate happiness in our own lives. It's our choice on whether, you know, what we prioritize and what we deem is important. Um, and kind of going back to what we were saying, like, I fell into that mental trap, too, of thinking, oh my gosh, you know, like if I lose this weight or if I get down to this pant size or if my thighs don't touch because, you know, so many women feel that way. Um, and you kind of fall into this mind trap of thinking, 
well, if I look this way, then, you know, certain type of guy will want to date me that didn't want to date me in high school and all these things. And so, yeah, that kind of motivated me in running and, and counting calories and all this stuff. Um, which kind of led me down that path for a while. And luckily, it was what led me to veganism and ultra running, which ended up being really great things for me. But in that time, you know, when I finally got down to like my lowest weight, um, and I was technically like slightly underweight even for being an athlete. Um, and I was so miserable because I wasn't myself. Um, I didn't feel like myself at all. And I just kept putting so much pressure on myself to look a certain way because I kept telling myself, this is what's going to make you happy. This is what's going to make you happy. And I think after two years of being miserable and looking at people, finally like stepping back and looking at people who were actually happy, who had lives, who enjoyed food, who didn't make themselves get up at five o'clock on a Saturday morning, every Saturday morning to go out and run 16 or 22 miles. I realized that my idea of happiness or what I thought was happiness, you know, it, it wasn't. I was chasing after an ideal image, thinking that that would make me happy instead of just finding things that made me happy. It's like I was making it way more complicated than it needed to be. Most people tend to do that, too. And I actually have this hanging in my room. It's a um, it's a Taoist proverb, and it says, the journey is the reward. And I think that that is so... Uh, so key of a of a a saying or a phrase to to really repeat to yourself on a daily basis because you know when you're living in the future and and you think like you said that you're going to get to this destination it's once you get there it's there's always going to be something else you know if you can find happiness in your here and now um you know on your journey that's what it's all about now you know there's a big difference between kind of waking up every day and not doing anything and not working towards anything. I understand not finding happiness in that. But if you are actively trying to better your life, just because you you aren't at your goal yet, that doesn't mean that that you're automatically going to be happy when you reach that goal. It, the fact that you're trying to, to better yourself on a daily basis, that journey of doing that should be your reward, should be your happiness. And if you can tap into into that mindset. It's a very, very powerful thing because you will focus more on the daily actions uh, that are going to propel you forward in life and realize that there's always going to be something more. You know, you're always going to want something more. That's just, that's human nature. I don't care if you say, oh, if I could just have all this money and this big house and this and that. Well, even if you get that one day in your life, you know, unless you've really tapped into to this this mindset then you're just going to be wanting the next big thing after you get there so it's it's like the poor millionaire you know it's it doesn't matter how many of these things or how many of these goals you achieve it's it's about the daily progression forward and, and that's all we have is is one day at a time so um i want to touch back on when you started running um so you were doing all this stuff and and you were a full-time student as well um what got you into um, nutrition and, and wanting to be a dietitian? Um, I think being at that point where, again, you know, my focus was kind of on like weight loss and health um, and running. And I was starting to turn more away from like eating healthy for weight loss and more towards eating healthy to feel good, eating healthy um, to take care of myself. So 
that I can get the best out of my years. Um, I think people make a common mistake. They think, oh, I don't want to eat healthy because then I'll live to be 100 and I'll be miserable from like 80 to 100 or whatever. Um, But the truth is like, you know, people who develop chronic disease usually develop it like in their early 60s and then they live with it for 20, 30 years. Um, Eating healthier and living longer doesn't mean that you're just prolonging your misery. It means that you're putting it off longer. And it usually means that you have better quality of years later on in life. And I think that's kind of a misconception. I know a lot of people who take good care of themselves that are in their 90s that still live independently, um, that can still, you know, drive a car and and go places and do things. I mean, I know people in their 60s who haven't taken care of themselves, um, who live in assisted living and have been there for over a decade. So I think this idea that, you know, well, I don't want to live too long or live in you know, live in the moment or I'm just going to enjoy now and whatever happens, happens. You know, I think it's good to just enjoy the occasion sometimes to treat yourself. Um, But I think finding that balance between, you know, really investing in your health and really taking care of yourself is important too. Um, And I think for me, that's been one big thing is trying to find that balance between taking care of my long-term self and taking care of myself right now in this moment and trying to find that balance between the two and making sure I'm honoring both. Right. Uh, those are all great points. And do you think it's a challenge when you're dealing with patients or with other people when you say that you're a dietitian and that you're plant-based as well? Do you feel like some people kind of automatically discredit you or do you think that having the the registered dietitian title adds to your credibility? How? What's kind of your experience with that? Um, I think, unfortunately, a lot of people don't really know what my credential actually entails. Um, so registered dietitian, basically, this is the highest level you can be in the nutrition field. Um, we are considered the nutrition experts. We have an academy. We have a licensure place. We have a licensure exam. Um, and every state has its own, you know, licensure expectations. So it, it varies. Um, and they're pretty strict on that. We have to do continuing education units to keep everything up. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people kind of use the words registered dietitian and nutritionist interchangeably, unfortunately. And so when people hear registered dietitian, they go, oh, like a nutritionist. And it's like, no, because nutritionist doesn't have any kind of limitations on it. Um, so really anyone could call themselves a nutritionist. I mean, you could take one general education nutrition course and say, I'm a nutritionist um, and enjoy stuff on social media. And I think sometimes that's the problem. Right. Yeah. Like healthcare or professions, most people know, oh, a registered dietitian, you're a health expert. And so when I bring up plant-based eating or I bring up veganism, luckily nowadays, I think most people who are familiar with nutrition, um, they know that it's already a healthy way of living. Um, so that's great. I don't have to advocate for that as much. Um, I think we're slowly moving more and more towards plant-based eating. Um, I know they recommend it now, obviously for heart disease and oncology. Um, and so I think we're slowly starting to progress with moving people to more of a plant-based diet. Um, in my master's classes, we're actually talking about how that really is the best way to increase not only the years of your life, but the quality of the life in your years. Um, and I think that's awesome that the nutrition community in general is recognizing that. Um, 
but I do think to answer your question that having that title and credential does kind of back me up sometimes. Um, it still doesn't matter on the internet. There are always going to be people who are going to be like, well, I read this in cosmopolitan, so you're wrong. <laughs> and those are the people you just don't argue with because you can't right. read they don't want to look at epidemiological studies. They don't want to look at the science or the meta analysis. Right. They want to look at like what's easy for them to believe or what they don't have to make any big changes in their lifestyle for. And I think that's a big thing to keep in mind, too, is like, you know, some people just aren't going to be open to whatever you have to say because they just don't want to accept that they're going to have to change if they. Right. They're not ready yet. Thing is true. And so um, I've just learned to kind of lead it as an example instead um, and just kind of let people come to me instead of coming to them. Um, if it's their idea, they're going to be more open minded to it. Right. And what about the people that you see when, when you're on the job? Are, do they seem to be more receptive um, to your advice as, as far as plant-based nutrition goes? Obviously, the internet is a kind of dog-eat-dog world. So, um, But being in that kind of more like clinical setting, do you think that, that you're more well-received? Um, I honestly think it depends on the person. Um, I think some people, you know, I'm 25. And so when I'm talking to someone who's 70 years old, they're looking at me and they're thinking, okay, I have grandchildren your age, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, but then again, I have people who I come and talk to them and every single thing I say and suggest, they think it's a wonderful idea and they're writing it down and they're going to go try it. So I really think it comes down to more the people. Um, yeah, I think as a dietitian, and a vegan, it's kind of hard right now unless you work in a specific area that promotes plant-based nutrition to really get the kind of clientele that are really open to that. Um, so usually what I do is I just try to push people more in the direction of like, well, you know, fiber is good for weight loss. And, you know, the more fruits and vegetables you eat, the better, like the more colorful you can eat, the better, like just making it simple for people because, a lot of the people I work with are older in their age. Most people with chronic disease and health issues, because most people unfortunately wait until they are sick to make lifestyle changes. Um, and that's a big area I'm focusing on as well is prevention. Um, that's the where it should be is prevention um, instead of treating diseases if possible. But uh, most people who are older in age, they just tend to kind of, they're set in their ways and they tend to have their mind made up about how they want to do things. And so I usually just try to suggest small changes. And then if we can get those made, uh, work on, you know, the next step in moving this way. You know, if you can get someone to just eat less meat and then to maybe go vegetarian or, you know, eat mostly vegetarian um, and then, you know, to transition towards veganism. I think for most people, they need, you know, small steps to make it manageable. But everyone's different. So it's kind of right. <laughs> a challenge to learn how to read people and what's going to be best for working with them. Right. I 100% agree. Um, I think a lot of people need to take that step-by-step -step approach. Um, do you think you've had anyone who's really kind of bought into to the plant-based diet and seen results from it and then come back to you to tell you? Or is that something that you don't really get to see? I'm not sure you know, how much interaction you have uh, in the clinical setting with these people, but. Um, yeah, I would say within my line of work, um, I don't really get to see that too often, unfortunately. Um, luckily enough, I do do social media on the side just for my own enjoyment. Um, 
And I have had people message me, um, and that's more in the self-love. Um, and I've kind of openly talked on social media about, you know, kind of overcoming calorie restriction and disordered eating habits and that kind of mindset and talking about, you know, what I did to be able to basically reconnect with myself and who I am and getting back to focusing on health rather than looking a certain way. And I have had a girl send me personal messages on Instagram and and certain platforms saying, hey, you know, that picture you posted, that message you wrote today, that inspired me to recover from my eating disorder and I got my period back or I can run again and my I used to be too weak. Um, things like that, like that just it makes everything worth it. I mean, if I get one of those messages a year, it makes everything I do on social media worth it. And I guess that's kind of what keeps me going. So unfortunately, within my professional career, what I get paid to do, um, it's not so much. But um, and I have had people on social media kind of reach out and say, hey, you inspired me to eat more plant based. I love, you know, your food that you make or your recipes. I tried this and I liked it. So I'll eat this more often. Um but I'd have to say the biggest, uh, the biggest change I feel like I've been able to make is when you can share your story and someone can connect with that on a personal level and it can inspire them to think, well, I, I felt that way too. And she's, you know, changed, she's happy and I can do that as well. And to have someone message you and say, Hey, you know, like I found my way out of this idea of trying to fit social norms. And I feel like I love myself again and I'm happy. And thank you for that. That really um, makes it all worth it. Wow. That's amazing. And I think that in a culture where we have this uh, social media, you know, like like culture, uh, as far as how many likes you get on a post and how many followers you have and stuff like that. I think it's really critical if you're going to consider yourself an influencer or really share things on social media, you really have to understand what is your why, why are you doing this? And if you don't really have a good one, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of, I feel like taking away from this amazing platform that we have. And it just goes to show that, that if you have a good why, it doesn't matter if if you get a thousand likes or you know a hundred thousand followers. If if you even reach out to one person, you know you have the potential to change their life, and that's obviously what it seems like has has happened for you and and how you've shared yourself on on social media as a platform and and put out this amazing content to be able to help people. And I think that there's really something to be said for that is, is seeing that, you know, you, you have a genuine want to, to help people and it's less about the likes and, and the followers and, and more about, okay, who can I help? You know, if it's one person, right. then, then your job is done. Yeah. And, um, and, and your, your social media account is, is amazing by the way, if, <laughs> if uh, people don't know who you are or don't follow you. I mean, your your food pictures are some of the most aesthetic things I've ever seen. I have no idea how you create these <laughs> masterpieces. They look too good to eat. I, w- I wouldn't want to eat it. Like I, I, I feel like if I made something that beautiful, I would just have to let it sit there and just <laughs> and like just revel in and just looking at it. But um, tell me more about how you got into kind of sharing that on social media as, as far as. Um, making food goes? Um, so I think like a lot of things that started oh, four or five years ago. Um, yeah, my, my account started 
uh, less than a year after I went vegan. So I was kind of in that part of my life where I was still kind of focusing on trying to chase this idea of happiness. Um, and I remember, I think I just started it because I came across, um, a really big, you know, social media presence that was vegan and she had a ton of followers and a ton of likes and a ton of people, you know, thought she was so amazing. And I was like, man, I want that too. You know, just that trying to satisfy that ego. Um, and so I got account and I started posting stuff. Um, and it started to grow and grow. And so the more it grew, the more it motivated me to keep putting in time and, and energy and effort. Um, and I think after a while, you know, just like running or anything or, you know, being vegan, it kind of slowly started to switch over to a better place to where I stopped doing it for self-gratification or needing approval from other people. Um, I started doing it because I started making friends. I started connecting with people. Um, I started to realize that I had this ability to help people and I, I do feel like in some ways, you know, I have the potential to be like a leader um, because I'm very open. I'm not afraid to be vulnerable. I'm not afraid to be honest and to put myself out there. Um, I'm not afraid to be wrong or to make mistakes um, in front of a lot of people, uh, I guess. And um, I do feel like, you know, I have a lot of insight to share from things I've experienced. And I think sometimes that's what people need on social media. Um, I feel like sometimes people just need people on there who are just being really raw and honest because unfortunately we live in a world where most people don't share that sides of themselves. And I understand, you know, in professional settings and in life, you know, you can't go around telling every stranger everything about yourself. But I think being able to, you know, reach a couple thousand people and say, you know, like, hey, I've been struggling with this lately. This is hard in my life. This isn't perfect. It's nice because people realize that they're not the only one going through that. And it's sad to think that people feel that way. But the truth is, I felt that way. You know, I've seen people who had accounts who only posted perfect pictures at perfect angles, and everything's perfect all the time. And you start to almost like, you know, feel inadequate, and you start to kind of fall into this slump, because you feel like, why isn't my life like that, you know, and that kind of leads to people wanting to chase the dream. And I think once I started realizing that, you know, if I posted certain things, I was just give, buying into that idea, not only that my happiness needed to be validated by other people's likes and approval, but also that I was leading people to start to believe the same things that I was. And I was leading them away from happiness instead of towards it. And so in the last few years, I've kind of tried to change the direction with how I've changed my life, which is showing people, this is the real me. You know, these are my flaws. These are my struggles. Like, come be human with me because I'm here being real with you and you can right. tell me whatever you can message me. I don't care if you have three followers or whatever, like you can talk to me anytime you can open up. And I have, I've had people message me and say, you know, Hey, I have an eating disorder. You're a dietitian, like you're vegan, like you're healthy, all this stuff. What do I do? And it's terrifying and humbling and just an incredible opportunity at the same time to be able to talk to people on that kind of level. Um, and so I guess, you know, social media, it started out like a lot of things, um, maybe not with the, the right intentions at the time, but as I grew, uh, my platform grew and kind of it's turned into what I want it to be. And it feels right at this point in time. And I'm sure it will continue to change like most things, but. Wow. No. And, and myself, 
included, I can see the, the change that has happened because I've known you for about four years now, I think. And I remember, you, you know, when you first, when we first became friends and I would see your post on there, I don't think they were always necessarily what they are now. Like you would, you would post the picture, but not necessarily have these really insightful captions that you have now. And I think it's really great what you're doing because you still kind of lure people in with, with that aesthetic, like most social media is, it's like, Oh, check out this, this picture that's going to lure you in. And you know, that's kind of how everyone catches, catches people. It's like, because you present this thing that people want. And, but I think if you can, if you can capture people like that, but then, you know, in the caption have this really insightful or purposeful um, story to tell, you know, that people can really start to connect with you, like you said, in that very raw way. And I think that that's so important, you know, that people see that, that there's so much more beyond just the picture, just beyond the perfect angle. Even if people are posting, posting those types of pictures just to get your attention, but then tell you, Hey, like there's more, there's more to this than this picture that I just posted. I think that's amazing. And and I've seen that progression on your page and I think it's incredible. And, and you've had some captions that truly resonate with me on a very deep level. And I think with a lot of other people as well. And that's why, that's why your page is so popular and why you've had people message you and tell you these stories about how you helped. And I think that's incredible. And it just goes to show that like, like before, like you said, when you started running or when you started uh, uh, eating a vegan diet, when you started the social media page, it wasn't for the right intentions initially, but as a human, you've grown and, and these things mm-hmm. have grown with you. And I think through that, that it kind of reverts back to what you said that that your your mission mission statement in life is and and that's to be happy and to show others that they can be happy as well and I think everything has tied in together. Yeah. Definitely. And and I want to just put a message out there um for anyone listening who is on social media um that just because you don't have, you know, a certain number of followers or likes I never want anyone to underestimate their power to influence someone in a positive way. I think sometimes people get discouraged because their numbers aren't maybe where they want them to be or where they think they should be, even if their focus is good and their intentions are good and they have a good message and they just want to help people. They feel discouraged because, you know, their account or their profile or whatever isn't getting the activity or the likes or the views that it that they would like for it to be. And I think, um, you know, even if you don't get messages from people directly saying, hey, you helped me, you know, a lot of times, most of the time when we help people, we're just planting a seed. Because I will say that sometimes it takes 10 or 20 exposures to something or some kind of idea for us to finally, like for it to finally click and for us to have that moment where like, geez, I've heard so many people tell me this same thing. And you might be the 12th person or the 20th person, or you might be the first person that just, you know, helps set set it up. So somewhere down the road, you know, people become open-minded to something. And so I think you can't ever underestimate your ability to make change because if you change one person, they might change one person and cause a chain effect. So I think if you have a positive message, if your heart's in the right place, like don't ever feel like I'm too small to make a difference, you know, always put your content out there, always be real with people. And I think that will always draw people in. 
right? 100% well said. Absolutely. Um, so there's one more thing that I want to talk about with you. And I think most people would be interested to know. And that is, you know, what is, what does your diet look like as a registered dietitian, as a, a plant-based athlete? What, what kind of things are you eating on a daily basis? Um, so honestly, I eat a very simple diet and I always tell people, Hey, you don't have to eat like me. If you want to eat vegan, there's a million different ways to eat vegan. Um, but for me personally, I'd say I have oatmeal almost every day. Um, in the summer it might be overnight oats and in the winter it's cooked cause it's warm. Um, and you can do a million different things with that between the fruit and nut and seed combinations or like peanut butter, almond butter, cashew butter, um, you can add in like different spices, uh, chocolate or cinnamon or whatever. Um, so I really just get creative with oatmeal or oatmeal typed things like pancakes or whatever for breakfast. Um, pretty much always with oatmeal um, for breakfast. And then um, lunch is pretty much always just uh, some kind of protein, whether it's like edamame or some kind of noodles or tofu or whatever. Um, and then I just pair that with veggies and then usually some kind of carb um, potatoes or, um, like I'll add hummus or things like that. Um, like beans, anything like that. And then dinner is usually again, just like veggies and a healthy carb and some kind of protein. Um, and then if I want a snack in the afternoon or in the evenings, I usually go for fruit. Um, so that's pretty much my diet. Again, it's not perfect. Uh, I also have the occasional dark chocolate because who doesn't love dark chocolate <laughs> and um, the occasional glass of wine or whatever. But overall, I would say that, you know, probably 95% of the food that I eat um, in a week is going to be like just a whole plant food. Right. And I think that's a good number to aim for. I think that's a great number. I've heard multiple times health is dependent upon what you do most of the time. So, you know, like you said earlier, it's like finding that balance and, you know, what you're doing most of the time, but still enjoying life at the same time. Right. I think uh, sometimes people can get too wrapped up. And again, I have in the past of that idea of perfection or 100 um, percent. And so that's why I think 95 is a good number. You know, it's it's high enough up to there to where you know, that's 95% is pretty much like, it'd be like if one meal a week was you just let yourself eat French fries and vegan chicken nuggets or, you know, like pizza or something, you know, like greasy processed food, like one meal a week. Um, and granted, I don't think it's necessary to like plan out days or meals where you're going to eat junk food. I think if you just let your body naturally say, you know, hey, today I want some chocolate. Like, you know, that's kind of what I do. I don't ever plan out specific days or cheat meals as some people call them. Um, I think just eating healthy as often as possible. And then occasionally when you feel like having something else going for that, um, but just avoiding that idea of perfection or a hundred percent or saying, you know, oh, I never eat refined sugar or I never eat oils. Like, well, okay, if I want a couple squares of dark chocolate, I'm just going to let myself have it because that mental stress that you put on yourself, trying to always be perfect, isn't healthy either. Like all or nothing mentality. Right. Yeah. And you can't have that all or nothing mentality. You just have to have the, I'm going to do the best with what I can every day mentality. And that's enough to really prevent, you know, disease pretty much as much as the hundred percent. I mean, the stress that trying to be a hundred percent all the time adds on probably doesn't make you any more healthy than the 95%. So (laughs) I say just, just be a little flexible. Right. And I think that that applies for so many other things in life, whether it's uh, transitioning to a plant-based diet or learning to be more mindful of 
your self-love, uh, you know, in that journey, uh, just not having that all or nothing mentality. You know, there's a, there's a quote that I love that says, uh, if you can't do everything, don't do nothing, do something. So if we could all just do something and do the best we can with the means that we have and know that, that everything is a journey, especially when it's a lifestyle change and just go forward one step at a time. Um, and it'll just compound on top of each other as long as you're, uh, willing and, and wanting to move forward. Right. So, well, we're going to wrap it up here shortly, but one of the last questions I wanted to ask you, what's, what's next for Allison, um, career, vegan advocacy, um, any new, any new athletic pursuits? <laughs> um, you know, I'm working on finishing up my master's degree. Um, I did do two semesters and then I got my RD credential, um, cause that's kind of how it works halfway through your master's, you can sit for the exam. And so I did. Um, and unlike most people, I decided to take some time off. Uh, I took basically like a year and a half off for myself and I'll be going back in January to finish everything up next year. Um, and I totally recommend like, Hey, follow your own path. Like if you feel like you're too stressed out or overwhelmed, don't be afraid to give yourself a break. Um, don't feel like you have to do what everyone else is doing because I was just in a place where I just knew like I needed a gear off and it's fine to do that because I'm going back now and I'm going to finish it. Um, and so I'm, I'm totally okay with that. Um, once I finish my master's degree, my plan is to hopefully move West, um, Colorado or California are definitely on the list, but you know, a life's open, so I'll end up where I end up, but Definitely to move out of the Midwest is a goal of mine. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. My 26th birthday next summer falls on a Saturday. Um, and so I'm hoping to maybe find a marathon to run um, to get back into running, kind of ease back into it. Um, I guess a marathon's easing back into running for me. So Yeah, for you. <laughs> and then maybe some after that. We'll see. Um, I feel like most ultra runners hit their peak like somewhere in between like 30 and 50 years old, like most people who run ultras aren't in their twenties. They're not younger. Um, and so I do think I have some time to kind of ease back into that and maybe do a few more epic races and then, uh, maybe just pace people and volunteer and just share other people on who are going after their dreams. That's awesome. Amazing. And, uh, where can people find you at if they want to connect with you? Um, I'd say the easiest way would be on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Allison Gesh. It's just A-L-L-Y-S-O-N-G-E-S-C-H. Um, that's really the only place I'm regularly posting often. So I'd say that's the best place to find me. Awesome. And for anyone who's listening, if you don't follow her, you need to because her page is amazing and you will immediately be jealous of all the awesome food that she has posted up there. So highly recommended to check out Allison's page. Well, thank you for having me, Jake. Of course. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show. It was, it was so nice chatting with you and catching up a little bit and being able to share your insight with everyone uh, listening as well. So I hope to have you back on again sometime soon. Oh, definitely. I was very flattered that you asked me. Thank you. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. That was Allison Geschwintner, the registered dietitian and ultra marathon runner. If you guys enjoyed the content of the show, please leave me a rating and review on your podcast streaming platform and share with a family member or a friend so we can help share the message of love, compassion, and peace as far as it will go. 
If you are somebody who is struggling to find happiness in your own life, or you just need advice on where to start with fitness, nutrition, or behavior change, head to my website, www.theveganmanlyman.com and hit the button, level up. My name is Jake Singer, and this is the Vegan Manly Man Podcast.